0: Good evening. Good afternoon. We are resuming our study of translation issues, and today we're going to tackle a couple, hopefully. The first one we're going to get to is one that if you search it on the internet, it's a pretty big one. All you'd have to type in is this particular verse, and there's going to be a ton of debate and discussion on it. So we're just going to go straight to it in Acts chapter 12. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 4. And then when we get to verse 4, that's where we're going to talk about the translation issue in question. So in the KJV, in chapter 12, verse 1 of the book of Acts, it says, Now about the time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And mm-hmm. when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quatern- quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people.
1: Ooh, I don't know which word?
0: Now tell me what the issue is, Scott, because I think you've already noticed it. Verse yeah. four Passover. There you go. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the history of English translations, because it's important when we're talking about this verse. Mm -hmm. So I want to introduce you to a guy named William Tyndall. If you never heard of him before, if you haven't researched this guy's story, please do. He was instrumental in the reformation of bringing the original languages into the English language. So that way people who spoke the vernacular could have access to God's word. And one a statement or quote, and this is loosely quoted because I don't know it word for word, but he was having a conversation with someone, a debate, and it was a debate revolving around whether the words of the Pope matter more than the words of God. Mm. And he said, If God allows it, I will make it to where the boy who drives the plow will know more about God's word than you. And so it was a very Amen. emotionally charged statement, but I think we could all agree with it. Yep. If you're a Bible believer, yep. and when I say a Bible believer, not just a person who believes certain teachings of the Bible, but you believe the Bible is God's word, and people should have it so they can know God personally. Amen. And that's what a biblicist is, and that's what he was. And so he went on to translate the Greek into the English for the New Testament, and he shipped it into um, to England. And of course, these books were burned. And what was interesting that his enemies would buy up all the books and whenever they'd buy them up, they'd then take the books, the Bibles, and they burned them. And when someone commented on that, he said, well, I'll just take all the money that sure. I earned from them buying it to and make more to print more. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's several printings. I'm not going into all those details sure. because off the top of my head, I don't know all that information, but he made several editions. Okay. You know, perfecting his work as he translated, he was a very skilled scholar and it's been estimated that about uh, 80% or more of his translation was the guiding force behind the King James. Wow. So that's why it really does tie into this right here, but it it deals with the term Passover because up until William Tyndall, the word Passover didn't exist. Uh, He was the guy actually coined the word in the English language. What is it in Hebrew? Like Uh, it's uh, Pesach if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, isn't Passover basically. It, yes. I... It, it, it does mean to pass over. Okay? okay. So he, he literally coined the word. Okay. So, gotcha. I mean, he he's following the original language. He's not making this stuff up. Sure. You know, and he's not pulling it out of thin air, but the term Passover, like as one word relating to this festival was something that he invented to describe the feast Gotcha. Uh, before, you know, in Hebrew, again, it's spelled P-E-S-A-C-K if you bring it in English, and I'm pretty sure it's Pesach. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, just forgive me. In the Greek, it's uh, Pascha. And so whenever he's translating before he comes up with this word, and he didn't actually coin Passover until he got to the Old Testament, and he did translate the first five books of the Old Testament from Hebrews. So he was the first to do so into English. So it's, it's very significant, all the work that he did. And he did that, I believe, while he was imprisoned as well Hmm. Um, he requested that he have his hebrew bible when he was in prison so he could translate this but anyways he coined that term when he got to the old testament which was after his new testament translation so when his new testament translation came out the passover is not used at all and all the references where you'd expect passover in the new testament it's easter so why did he use easter easter as people would say today is not the same thing as passover Right. You got Passover over here. That's Jewish. You got Easter. That's Christian. So why did he use Easter? Why Easter? Where did that word? Well, exactly. And that's what we're going to talk about too, because it's, it's a really insightful study when you look at it. But Mm -hmm. eventually what happened is the term Passover, which he coined was imported to the new Testament. Okay. He did not do this, but it happened later on. Okay. After he passed on, he was martyred for his faith, Mm -hmm. uh, for making the English Bible available to the English speaking people. And uh, he prayed that God would open the King of England's eyes. And uh, in, in time, that's exactly what would happen. Uh, his translation would form the basis of the Great Bible, which would be approved by the King of England and, and put um, in public places and chained to podiums where people could go up and they could read the Bible for themselves. So, anyways, God answered his prayer. It's an awesome story of, of faith and uh, God rewarding that faith. But when people started to make more translations, Later on, one came around that became really popular, and it was called the Geneva Bible. Uh, the Geneva Bible, as you may have guessed, was made in Geneva by the reformers that lived there. Uh, this was a congregation that had been uh, pastored over by John Calvin, and some of the people who worked on this oh. were, you know, close associates and students of John Calvin. So the New Testament came first, and then the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Geneva was the first full. Old Testament in English English that was translated directly from the Hebrew. So they had the Old Testament English beforehand, but it was, you know, a translation of a translation, uh, like the the great Bible, Matthew's Bible, Coverdale Bible. They used Tyndall's work in the first five books. And he also did some work in the historical books too, like Joshua, Mm -hmm. first and second Samuel, but he only got so far before he was killed. So no one really completed that work. They just you know did translations from the Latin, sure, okay, because that was the you know language of the day or French you know and that's what Coverdale did it was a translation of the translation gotcha. into English, okay uh because Coverdale did not know Hebrew, right, not okay. a lot of people did right, and so the Geneva bible was was pretty groundbreaking in that they had the whole Bible, Old Testament New Testament, from the original languages, so in the Geneva Bible, I don't think the first edition did this um. I could be wrong, but I know that the 1599 Geneva, you know, predating the King James, which is really popular among the Puritans. Mm -hmm. And it was probably the Bible used by the pilgrims here in the new world. Sure. 1599 Geneva doesn't have Easter here. It has Passover here. Mm -hmm. However, when 1611 comes around, okay. The King James translators, they of course have the word Passover at their disposal. I mean, it's been coined at this point. It's already been used in other translations. They're very much aware of the Geneva Bible. Um, and so they, for some reason, they keep Easter here in other places where the reference to us would be clearly Passover, like in the gospels, when it's talking about Mm. Passover, you know, in in that time period, when Christ is, is coming into Jerusalem and he's about to go to the cross, when it talks about the Passover, they put Passover there. Things of unleavened bread,
1: the whole, right. Yeah, I mean, right. so
0: they they knew that. That's what we're
1: talking about. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so uh, they took the Easter reference that they were used to using, okay? Because okay. at the time that Tyndall made it, uh, and even before Tyndall, okay? Other English translations that preceded him, it was just Easter. Hmm. So now they have the benefit of a new term that is arguably more precise, but they don't use Passover here. Hmm. which has perplexed people. And there's the debate. Are are they accurate in doing this? Like, why did they do this? I mean, I don't know of any record of the King James translators that explains their reasoning behind this, um, because I don't think we have that available to us. So why in the world did they do this? Well, first, let me explain to you how some people Rationalize this. And I'm gonna say that I thought this was sound before, and I'm not convinced now. Okay. So I'm gonna read you the note. I have uh the King James Bible here that's got some notes. Many places I agree with, and other places like this one I don't, but I Who, think it's well meaning here. What's the comment? Who wrote the commentary? Uh, this you know? is uh the Rock of Ages Study Bible, and okay. the ministry is actually a prison ministry, and I again I recommend the study bible, it's a really good one. Uh, you know, dispensational. It may not free, be free grace, but free grace friendly, at least. Sure. Um, and if you want more information, you know, just search online Rock of Ages Study Bible. But anyways, this is the note for verse four. It says the word Easter is used to dispute the translation of the King James. That is true. OK, people do use this verse all the time to say that the KJV is in error. Verse three says this was the days of unleavened bread. The Passover had passed according to Leviticus 23, four through eight, which was the day before the feast of unleavened bread. Herod was celebrating his pagan feast of Ishtar, also known as Easter. Hmm. And so the KJV is accurate. So that's the quote. Now on the surface, it sounds reasonable. It seems very reasonable. I mean, they're going back to the old Testament and um, they're properly understanding how these feasts were laid out. Mm -hmm. However, there is a hole in this argument um, that's not, you know, readily apparent. If you look in Luke and the same guy who wrote Acts wrote Luke. Yeah. Uh, in Luke. Luke. Did. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in uh, Luke 22, one, it says now the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay. We're talking about the same thing. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, Junai, which is called the Passover. Right. So he refers to the entire Feast of Unleavened Bread as Passover. So you'd have Passover and then you'd have the seven day feast following that. And he groups the whole thing together as the Passover. So to, to make this really clear cut distinction in acts 12:4 between the Passover and then the feast of unleavened bread, sure. it's, it's just not to me. It doesn't carry a lot of weight. Okay. So it's possible, even plausible, but in light of how, Luke elsewhere uses the word Passover. It could just be here that when he speaks of the days of unleavened bread, he's talking about Passover in a very general way. So he's, he's taking it all in there, the whole festival. Okay. Yeah. And, and this is something that the Jews did frequently. So this is not without precedent. So to say that, okay, this could not be Passover. So it must be Ishtar or Easter. I think that's incorrect. OK, uh, but we'll come back to the Ishtar question because this is important. All right. I don't want to dismiss it altogether without explanation. But before we do that, let's talk, as you asked earlier, where does Easter even come from? What's the word? I yeah. grew up a whole life, you know, celebrating Easter as a Christian and never knew where it came from. Easter comes from the Germanic term. Ost. OK, so in German, it's actually called Ostern Uh, e-o-s-t-r-e-o-s-t-e-r-n austern and so the the root of austern okay is aust and it means dawn east or sunrise so since they associated of course the sunrise with the east the term can mean east or sunrise dawn depending on the context so the word easter okay literally is related to the germanic word for east okay because the sun rises, rises in the, in the east. east. So why did they use this term? Christians who use the Germanic language, English is Germanic. They associated the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. The sun rising. With the sun rising. And of course, if you want to see a biblical basis for this, I'm going to read you probably my favorite verses in the Gospel of Luke. And they're in chapter one. Christmas is coming up. I'm excited about it. And these are some really awesome questions. Christmas verses. I'm sorry. What is it again? It's Luke chapter one, verse number. Well, we'll start uh, in verse seventy-six. Okay, uh, so chapter one, verse seventy-six of the Gospel of Luke. It says, "Thou child, this is Zachariah talking to John the Baptist. Thou child shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God." whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So such a beautiful description of the ministry of Christ Mm. as he comes down from heaven, but he's depicted as the day spring as the sun rising on us. And so that's why English speaking Christians took this term Easter, the rising sun in the East, to describe this time of the year where they celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Okay. So that's, that's where we get the term from now in the Greek, the word is Pascha. Pascha is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew term for the Passover. Okay. So uh, it, it most naturally one might argue would be translated as Passover. And you know what, in this case, I'm not going to argue that Passover is inaccurate because I don't think it is. I think that if a Bible translation renders it as Passover, there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. However, I would also argue that there's nothing wrong with Easter if one properly understands what Easter means. So let's talk about that. Uh, There's a lot of Easter controversies today, but more so in the early church when they would excommunicate people the drop of a hat. (laughs) And so let's talk about the history of Easter. So Eusebius, who was, you know, front and center, of this controversy about when Easter was celebrated around his time. uh, There was a big controversy and it was more or less settled forcibly at the council of Nicaea. Gotcha. And so it had to do when the Christians would celebrate Easter. Not all Christians celebrated on a Sunday. Uh, And some people celebrated on a Sunday, but they were guided by the Jewish calendar. So because they're not Jews, Mm. they would go to their Jewish neighbors and they would discover from them when the Passover was. And of course, they would celebrate Easter on the Sunday following Passover, mm-hmm. um, which is when Jesus came back from the right. dead. But that required them having pretty close association with their Jewish neighbors, at least as far as this is concerned. Right. Uh, and accounts of Nicaea, there was an anathema placed on the Jews. Uh, Constantine uses some pretty strong words. Uh, John Hagee yeah, and... Constantine, (laughs) man. Uh, But he says this, and this is quoted in John Hagee's book, Earth's Last Empire. Mm. And I'll quote him more in a minute. But uh, he quotes Constantine saying, let us have nothing in common with the detestable Jewish crowd. Yeah. So they were trying to distance themselves as much as possible from the Jews. Replacement theology became the norm at this point that, you know, we're not going to talk to the Jews. They're cursed by God. There's no forgiveness for them. They killed God you know, a lot of people weren't looking for a restoration of the Jews because they thought that the Jews were utterly cast off. Sadly, that opinion Mm. is pretty dominant among certain Christians today as well. Uh, But because of that, eventually it was settled that we're not going to use the Jewish calendar at all. Uh, We're going to use a, another calendar that doesn't depend on the Jews. Uh, It was their own calculations based on the moon and the sun. And it, it was according to the science of their day. OK, mm. so the best that they had, it wasn't it perfect. No, but, you know, calendars have been improved over time. So they came up with their own way of computing the time of Easter. They believed that it was accurate uh, the same time of year, the same Sunday that Jesus was risen as best as they could pinpoint it on a calendar. And they wanted to say, we're not using the Jewish calendar. We don't need it. We got our own calendar and this is when we're going to do it. And it's basically where we get. Easter celebration today, the way it's been done. Right. Uh, and it all started the Council of Nicaea. Now, it wasn't again, it wasn't hammered down all the details, but that was where the foundation was laid. Now, before this, the controversy it started pretty early on. So in the second century, so John has been in the grave for I don't know, maybe 50 years or so at this point. And right. uh, okay. one of the guys that knew him, Polycarp, yep. uh, he is an Asian pastor. Uh, you know, modern day Turkey. His name is Polycarp of Smyrna. So mm-hmm. it was a church that was started there, not too far away from some of the churches that Paul wrote to. Okay, right. So, anyways, and and, and Smyrna and is one of church those of churches. Smyrna yeah, in and Revelation. Revelation. Yeah. So he was from that congregation, and uh, they celebrated Passover on the fourteenth of Nissan every single year. Uh, now the fourteenth of Nissan would be the day that they killed the Passover lamb. So it was not. The day of the resurrection, it was the day of the atonement. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's when they celebrated. And they would break their fast then. All Christians back then, it was very big part of the culture and a part of their faith. Fasting led up to this celebration annually. Now, they would break their fast mm. on the 14th of Nissan. So the day that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. That's when the celebration began. And it was a celebration that lasted for many days. Right. And it would include the day of the resurrection mm-hmm. on Sunday, but that's when they broke their fast. Now in the West, they did things differently. Now of they course. still, they still followed the Jewish calendar. Okay. Yeah. So they, they pinpointed where 14th of Nissan was, yep. you know, that, that would be the day Jesus was crucified, but they fasted during that time. Okay. So in the East, they're already celebrating while in the West. They're fasting. Yeah. And so, there was a dispute between Polycarp and the Roman bishop. Uh his name was Anicetus, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they basically agreed to disagree, right? I mean, right. they 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 definitely thought that they each had it the right way. Right. Um, uh, you know, Roman bishop would claim apostolic authority, Polycarp would say, We've been always doing it this way. This is what was handed down to this us by the, by calling, the Apostle John. The, this is not the Roman Catholic Church. No, 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 no. This, this is, is this is so early that I I wanted
1: to make that clear.
0: Yes. So so those who are listening, the Roman bishop was just the pastor of the church in Rome. Sure. Uh, So we're not talking about the Pope at this point. Right. Now, the Roman church was a thriving congregation. It was very large. Mm -hmm. So this would be like the equivalent of a Johnny Hunt or something like that. Someone who is a pastor of a large church. okay? Okay. And I'm just not speaking in terms of influence. Okay. So... You know, there's that, a celebrity of a church. Or there, some of those there's a celebrity status yeah, that's yeah. generally associated with yes. these mega church pastors today. Like, if you're a pastor Greg of Laurie a 50 person church, was, yeah. and then you're over here, you're the pastor of you know a thousand or more person church. The people who get you know more fame, the yes. people who get more attention, are the ones with the bigger congregation. Absolutely. Okay. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's the way yes. it is. Okay. Uh, so, anyways. Roman bishop, very influential bishop. A lot of people would listen when he spoke, okay? But Polycarp is very influential too because he had that connection with John. He knew John personally. And because he knew John personally, a lot of people tended to listen to him. And so you had this big dispute between the two churches, the Roman church and the Eastern churches that were in Asia. Now, they were able to resolve that. Now, later on, uh, another... Uh, 40 years later, uh, roughly okay. there was another debate and it had to do with the same exact thing, except the Roman Bishop Victor at this point was a lot less courteous and he excommunicated the East. Now, of course <laughs> they patched it up, but it was very, it was very tense. Okay. So Irenaeus, uh, who was the disciple of Polycarp again. Thanks. So it's like the next generation, same issue comes up. Yeah. They're a little bit more tense about it. They are able to patch it up but just barely. Okay. So there's obviously a lot of traditions going on right now about Easter and not everybody's on the same page. Okay. Here's the point. I'm going to read this to you right now. Okay. Okay. To preface any remarks that I I give you next, because a lot of people today debate things like this, maybe not the celebration of Easter, but the celebration of the Sabbath. That's a big debate. You know, you got seventh day Adventists. you got Hebrew roots people. Yes. Uh, We could take that even further. Uh, Eating kosher food keeping the yes. Old Testament festivals. Yes. This is a big debate. Now, if you want to do those things, there's nothing wrong with it. However, the Bible tells us that we should not judge each other when it comes to these issues. So in the book of Colossians, and sorry, give me one moment. I got to find the, the references. It's uh chapter 2, verse 16 through 17. And I think everybody who's listening to this right now needs to humble themselves before the word of God and listen to what Paul says here. Because well, my because, dog isn't, because my dog's the, do- the dog's not. The dog's barking in the background, if you hear. But in Colossians 2.16, it says, let no man therefore judge you in meat, that means in food, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. So what Paul is saying there is Christ has come, all of these Jewish observances, they pointed to him. So now that he's come, it's not laid upon us as a burden to keep these things. So we should not hold Christians accountable when they don't celebrate these Sabbaths, new moons, holy days, or festivals. And as far as the New Testament is concerned, it does not command the celebration of Easter. It does command in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, and I'll read that as well. It does command that we need to gather together. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we should gather together. We should exhort one another. Uh, Early congregations, they sang praises, spiritual songs. They studied the word of God. They had overseers or pastors who would teach them. This is the pattern. This is what we do. This is what we do. Communion. They did communion. Okay. They did outreach, right? They were to live holy, Mm -hmm. not like the world. These are the things that we are to do as Christians. Now, it doesn't say anywhere in the New Testament that we are commanded to celebrate the Sabbath or to celebrate even Sunday. Now we meet on Sunday, but we're also meeting right now on Wednesday and we meet on Friday. Okay, we meet on Sunday because it has been the consistent pattern of the church from the earliest days to meet on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a good reason to do so, because it's a reminder that one day out of the week that the Lord came back from the dead, that resurrection life is in us and we ought to live it. Amen. But if someone was to say, I don't want to worship on Sunday, I'd rather worship on Sabbath day, but I'm still going to worship Jesus. I'm still going to worship God. Fine. I Good will not you. judge you. now. Yeah. And the reason I won't judge you is because I can't find anything in here right. that tells me that you need to do it my way. So when it comes to Easter, this is one of those things where we're not even commanded to celebrate Easter exactly. annually. So there should have been no judgment at all. Unfortunately it happened. And I, I think a lot of it had to do with this really big divide that was, that was burgeoning between mm. the Jews and the Christians. And it, it was bound to happen because yes. you had Christians who, they had this entitlement complex, you know. We've been accepted by God because we've believed, but the Jews have it, and and that's true. Obviously, they need to believe in Jesus to be saved. Okay, they have to accept the gospel, and they did reject Jesus, and they were judged by that right. or by uh, because of that. Uh, but seventy us to judge them. But it's not up to us, and and we are to continue to reach out to them, yes, especially in hope of the fact that one day they will see a revival, Amen. Like Romans eleven teaches. So yes. I think the early church's practice. Whether they kept the the Passover or Easter, whether they kept it on Thursday when Jesus was crucified, Nisan 14, or whether they kept it the Sunday after, Mm. okay, that was the difference between the East and the West. The point is, for a long time, they still talked to their Jewish neighbors and they still observed, in some respect, the Hebrew calendar. And while they were not required to do so, We can see that all of these festivals, and we've had a whole series on this. These festivals are types of Christ. Mm. And so it was a great platform to do missions to their Jewish neighbors because they could say, look, we're celebrating Passover. Jesus is the Lamb of God. We celebrate first tr- fruits. Sorry, first fruits. <laughs> Jesus is the first fruits. Um, we celebrate, you know, Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, because mm. that's what the Holy Spirit was given. Yes. So all of these festivals were fulfilled in Christ and Christians could use that. By observing those distinct dates on the Jewish calendar. But what happened, at least with Easter, um, is they divorced it from the Jewish calendar because they wanted to distance themselves from the Jews. And me and Katie, we were watching this movie. There wasn't a movie, it was a show. And it was in Australia in the 1800s. And it was such a huge divide between some Jews who had moved there and the Christians. And to me, it was like all throughout the show, it was assumed by both parties You are so different from us. It's like completely different religion. We have nothing to do with you. You have nothing to do with us. And I was like, where are the people who are saying he's your Messiah too? That's right. You know, Jesus is, is it's so sad because they saw themselves as the other. And while there were big differences, it was a difference of interpreting the word of God. Amen. A huge difference. But Christians could say, this is our Bible. And this is your Bible, too. You're That's just right. mission a big chunk. Yeah. But we both have these same festivals and Jesus fulfills them. We're still waiting for the Messiah to come back. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Or to
1: come. But regardless, it's the same dude. It
0: is. It <laughs> is. And, and so uh, it's just so sad to, to see that. To be so divide. vernacular with that one. What's that?
1: <laughs> to be so vernacular. The same dude. The it's, same dude. So <laughs> yeah. um, a long time ago, 20, 30 years ago. I, man, I'm old. But anyways, I had this, uh, this girl I worked with, she's Jewish, and uh, Lisa was, um, we were talking one time, we are friends, and I said, you know, the, the only difference is, when he comes back, for you it's going to be the first time, for me, it's the second time. Yep. And she kind of like, just like, she didn't like that. But, you know, she did, we just sort of let it go. But it was, yeah. was kind of funny, the, the, I remember the look on her face was like, no, you're wrong. You know what
0: I mean? Yeah. 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 And and it's, I think that, uh, for the first couple centuries, those kinds of conversations were so common. Yes. Uh, And there was a lot of Jewish reaction. Like we're not going to let our congregations read Daniel nine because Christians are using it to point to the Messiah and we're not going to read Isaiah 53. Right. And these are things that were in response to the Christian community that was having these conversations. They didn't Mm. write off the Jews yet. When you look at the earliest premillennial writings, like they are very clear that the Jews will repent. Amen. God's not done with them, right. and it could happen in our lifetime. So let's let's talk to these people. Maybe we'll see it. You know, maybe we won't. No one knows the day or the hour. Right. But you know, they were trying to reach out to them. But at the Council of Nicaea, at this point, they've re- refused to acknowledge that premillennial heritage that the early church had. Uh, they were amillennial at this point, and so their prophecy was skewed. They didn't see or envision a future restoration of the mm. Jewish people. Um, No Abrahamic covenant promises being fulfilled in, in those thousand years mm-hmm. of the millennium. Right. And, and so to them, there just was no need for the Jews. And now all these promises given to Israel in the old Testament are fulfilled spiritually, not literally spiritually in the church. Mm. And so this replacement theology, this, this anti-Semitism yeah, really all stems from they misinterpreted revelation. They got it all wrong. Yeah. So it shows how you're, your end times theology is very practical. It's not pie in the sky. Like it, it actually impacted the way Jews and Christians treated each other. Yeah. So that's something to be mindful of, but uh, let's get back to acts. So Easter. Yeah. Oh, what, gonna say more what more. does, what does Easter mean here? So, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to
1: interrupt you. Go One ahead. One last time on, well, probably not last time. That's fine. Albert Barnes's thing on um, Easter. Um, he's suggesting that it was a, uh, or is it here? The word Easter is of Saxon origin and is supposed to be derived of, um, Esther, E-O-S-T-R-E. Yes, goddess that's the Anglo-Saxon Saxon spelling. Venus, uh, Venus of the North. That's why I asked you if that's what it, basically that's the same thing. That's that you not,
0: were... it's not quite the same, but it's, it's similar because there, there was a goddess in, in Germanic, Germanic thought that represented spring Um, and in springtime, because they had that spring equinox Mm -hmm. um, the idea of the sun, you know, becoming prominent and rising was very big. And so uh, in paganism, they associated that time of the year with this goddess Uh, and this goddess in old Testament terms would be called um, Ishtar. If you're Babylonian, right. uh, Astarte, if you're Canaanite or or Ashtarot, Um, these are mentioned in the old Testament. So there is certainly a goddess and I, and I haven't left that behind. I'm going to talk about that. Uh, but I would say that the word Easter does not derive directly from the goddess. Uh, the word Easter derives from the root meaning east, east dawn rise. However, the goddess's name is connected to that too. Yes. So they have a common origin. I hear you. Okay. But it's not, all right, the goddess is based on the term and Easter is based on the goddess. It's Easter and the goddess both have the common root word which gotcha. means East dawn
1: east, it's coming sun's spring time and Albert, Albert Barnes is from what's his period Albert Barnes, 1800s right? That's what I'm thinking yeah late, as well, late right?
0: 1800s I believe so and he's got that, some good notes I mean, yeah yeah
1: but that stuff's starting to creep in as well right that whole you know uh,
0: yeah I think criticism criticism yeah I think you. I think that not it wouldn't be called textual criticism, higher criticism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was a conservative theologian, but yeah, you see traces of that in some of those commentaries, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because in their seminaries, they were dealing with that big struggle between, you know, importing the humanist way of looking yes. at scripture, but yet holding to the faith perspective. And there was a big tug of war there, but uh, that's, okay. that's a huge Sorry. thing. But anyways, going back to uh, Acts twelve four Easter, Easter, uh, because the word Pascha here, hmm is referring to a general time period, okay? It's not just talking about one day. It's talking to about the days of unleavened bread. We looked at that in Luke 22, one. So Passover is not talking about a single day. When Herod is thinking about bringing Peter out of the prison and then having him executed, this is after the season of Passover is over. Now in the early church and even today, in many congregations, or not congregations, uh, denominations, Easter is not just a day it's a day and it's a season among Catholics. They'll call it Easter tide. And so in the KJV mindset, so if you're a KJV translator, Easter was not just a day. Yes, it was a day, but it was like the Passover. The Passover was a term that could be applied to a single day Mm -hmm. or it could be applied to a season. Easter could be applied to the day or the season, more so even in the early church. Uh, In fact, uh, the Greek speaking church, They used the term Pascha to refer to Easter from start to finish, whether they kept Easter on the Passover, like Polycarp and Irenaeus, or whether later on they shifted and they they kept it on Sunday. Mm -hmm. They use the same Greek term used here, Pascha. And today, if you were going to send, I don't know, a card to your family members saying Happy Easter, the term in Greek is Pascha. So And, and in Hebrew, it's Pesach. Right yeah, there. yeah, Pe- Pe- Pesach. Pesach. I hope that that's right. It sounds Woo. like something else, <laughs> but um, anyways, um, I'm trying to that other one. <laughs> Pesach. It, it oh. sounds like you get it now. <laughs> it took me that's what I think of when I when I try to say it. So I may be pronouncing Buddy, it wrong, Buddy, and that's why. Buddy. But <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, Pascha can be Passover. In the Old Testament Hebrew sense, or it can be Easter in the New Testament Christian sense. So the question is, why such a big divide in the minds of people when it comes to your translation choice? I honestly think Passover, Easter, I think they're equally viable, but it really depends, I guess, on your perspective here. What <laughs> your point of view is, yeah. Yeah, so if you are Herod, if so, if Luke, the historian, if he is saying this from a Herodian perspective, Herod's obviously not going to be thinking in terms of the Christian celebration of Easter. No. He's thinking in terms of the Jewish one. Right. However, who's writing this? It's Luke. Yes. And so Luke is a Christian. Yes. He celebrate. He's not completely removed from this. He's a Christian who celebrates Easter back then. He wouldn't have called it that. That's an English term. He celebrates the Christian Pascha. Now Eusebius calls the Christian Pascha, Soteriu Pasca, which means Savior's Pascha. Mm-hmm. So in the early church, the Jews and Christians at the same time, whether they did it on Thursday or Sunday, that week there is Pascha to the Jews, and it's Pascha to the Christians. Mm. The only difference is, the Jews recognize Jesus as the Savior, and they call it that's his. It's his Pascha. He fulfilled it. While the Jews who don't believe, they're saying, no, Jesus did not fulfill these things. He's not the Messiah. But both groups <coughs> kept the Pascha, and they called it that
1: it, it it's regardless of of which way you look at it it's still the passover right like let's the jews just i'm sorry the christians just recognize that during passover yes jesus rose
0: absolutely and so that's what i'm saying i don't yeah, think yeah. the divide here is as big as no, a lot of people not. are making out and i've read commentators Uh, on this, like some of the later ones, like you said, in the 1800s, and and they keep calling Easter the Christian celebration. It's like, okay, you're, you're acting like Christians invented Easter. And it's this foreign concept, completely divorced from the Hebrew roots that, you know, are, are laid down in the old Testament. You can't divorce it. It, it, It's based on, you can't do it. I mean, uh, Paul said it, that all these things were shadows pointing to the substance Christ. So if Luke is speaking from his perspective here. And we don't know. We honestly don't know. And so it could go either way. Most people think that he's writing from Herod's perspective. The Jewish one, Herod wasn't a Jew. He was an Idumean or an Edomite, but he did. He did keep many Jewish festivals at the very least. He was a Jew on the surface. Okay. Yes. Um, I, I would say that he mixed a lot of paganism in with it, but yeah, yeah. Um, he didn't, he didn't completely throw out Judaism. He was yeah. like a uh, he was like a wannabe Jew. And, and we even exactly see that he with Herod the Great, yes. you know, the renovation of the temple, like yes. they obviously appealed to the Jewish people, uh, you know, on that that level. That level. Yep. Uh, but if he's writing from Herod's perspective, Passover is your best choice. However, if you're writing from Luke's perspective as a Christian, and Christians we generally we think of this time of the year as the year of or, or the, the the season of Easter. Again, that's English language. And we're talking about an English translation, right? Uh, So Easter has a Christian connotation. Passover does not necessarily have one. Uh, Passover can be, it can be a term that the Jews use without believing in Jesus as the Messiah. But when someone uses the term Easter, it has a distinctly Christian connotation. So if Luke is writing as a Christian and he's regarding this season as a Christian one, Jesus fulfilled all these Old Testament types and shadows, then Easter would be appropriate. But the point is, like you mentioned, whether you say Easter or Passover, it is originally Passover. And in the church at that time, they had a lot of different practices. Some would practice. They would really practice all of it. I'd say the earliest church, they would practice uh, the Passover. And, you know, whether you were breaking your fast on the Passover or you were keeping your fast on the Passover, Mm. everybody knew that it was the Passover and it was a holy day to them. And when Sunday came around, again, whether you broke your fast then or you've already been celebrating at that point, Sunday was the festival of first fruits, and it was the day Jesus came back from the dead. And then when they celebrate the feast of unleavened bread, in the early church, they did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it again was something that happened alongside of the Jewish practice. And I think that over time, because of the anti Semitism, because of the replacement theology, People just see them as so completely different from yeah. each other. And, and there's a lot of reformers, a lot of reform people that are starting to like bring back the popularity of Lent, the season of Lent. Yeah. And, you know, I've got some friends that I know that are really interested in that. And I'm like, I don't really get that, you know, I, and I can't judge you. Okay. Like no. if you, if you're not saying that you have to do this, then you're free to do it. Right. And if you can find some way to memorialize an event of scripture that is important, Like they'll, you know, the fasting of Jesus in the wilderness, Mm. you know, the season of Lent. I can't really argue with that. If you want to do that, it's fine. But it's not, it's not on the same level as Passover. It's simply not. not. Because Passover is something that God ordained. And while we're not required to keep it, okay, if you're going to keep something, that's, it makes more sense to keep the Passover than to keep Lent. Yes. Okay. I will say that. So um, Lent
1: I always just thought was Catholic,
0: Roman Catholic. Well, and see the right? reformers, they didn't quite get rid of all of it. You know, like yeah. they continue to keep certain things. Now it didn't have the same meaning um, in that the way Catholics keep Lent and the way Protestants keep Lent, it's not quite the same mm. uh, because obviously reformers, you know, they, they came out of the Catholic church and. And so while they kind of brought along some traces of their their Catholic roots, uh, obviously they are a different thing now. But uh, I just, I would say that, uh, again, if you're going to keep something, it would make more sense to keep the old Testament festivals. You don't mm. have to. And, and we, we tried our Seder meal and it was interesting. You know, my son <laughs> threw up all over the place <laughs> right when I was reading the scripture and yeah. right when we were taking everything good, just blah, everywhere. So it was days. great. And we'll try that again next year yeah. and maybe it'll be better. We hope so. Yeah, right. Um,
1: maybe Jamie would be barfing.
0: Hopefully not. <laughs> uh, but you know, we had a good time and we, did. we, We as a congregation would not judge anyone if they said, we don't really have any desire to keep the Seder. We're not going to. It's like, fine, you know, you don't have to, but I think that it is a beautiful way to see the connection between the old and the new to not make the old more prominent than the new. Because some people yes. do that. I mean, there have been Hebrew roots Hebrew people roots, that right. they make the Old Testament, they'll, they'll put it on the same level as the new. And while it's all God's word, it's called old for a reason. And it's I right. didn't call it old. The author of Hebrews called it old. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so we're, we're not under the old covenant anymore. So while we should study it and we should remember it, we're we're not to keep these things with the same uh, legalistic mindset that they did. And because it was legal and, and I'm using that term in the, the most literal sense, yes. like it was the law. Yes. They had to keep it. And Gentile Christians were not required to, they could, Correct. if they wanted to. And that's what we do in some cases. And we don't always consistently keep the festivals. We don't do every single one, you know, uh, no. if we were under the law, we lived during the days of the Israelite, their uh, theocracy, then we would have to keep them yes. like every single detail, every yes. single year. Uh, but today we look back on those, you know, more with a, a fondness because we see Jesus in them. You know, mm-hmm. we, Jesus is the thing we have now. Uh, he's the one we cling to. He's the one who's precious. And, and all these festivals, they simply are reminders of him. Yeah. Um, and so there's the extremes. You have the Hebrew roots over here where the old Testament is, you got to keep all the law. There's no rightly dividing the word of God. It's just all the same, you know? And they don't apply that consistently because they'll say, oh, well, we eat kosher and all this, but lobster, but you shave your beard off. Right. Okay. And the, and the ladies, you know, they'll, there will, I'm sure there will garments that mix certain fabrics. You know, there were certain fabrics that couldn't be mixed and, and those things you don't, you know, consistently apply. And so, uh, and like Paul said in Galatians, no one perfectly keeps the law. And if you keep one part of the law, if you're, if you're obligated to keep that, then you got to keep it all. That's right. Uh, you can't just pick and choose. You can't. Right. And so uh, there's that extreme. And then there's the covenantal extreme, which mm. is the replacement the- theology. And again, though, the reformers, they they came out of a lot of the Catholic era, They didn't leave behind mm. the replacement theology. Mm. And uh, it wasn't until really the 1700s and more so the 1800s where they started to see this difference between Israel and the church. In that the church does not fulfill these promises to Israel, that the Israel has a literal plan right in the future. Yes, and so and that that actually bridged the gap again. And I think it's like there's a two thousand year gap where the first couple hundred years of the church, you had Christians who were having conversations with Jews, like Jewish evangelism Lit- was a big teachers. thing. Yeah, and then in the you know in the dark ages, mm-hmm. it's like no Jews are over there. They're anathema. they're cursed by God. Right. And then you get to the early 1800s and now you have these Gentile Christians who are like, wow, God is not done with the Jews. He's gonna revive them. He's gonna restore them. And, and this is all before they came back to the land, right? Right. So it's like, this was not them saying, ooh, look, they're in the land. So maybe this is what the Bible's talking about. They just came back to prophecy and they concluded based on that, regardless of the political mm-hmm. situation, they're going to be in the land soon. And surely like 50 years after people started saying this early 1900s, starting to go back to the land. And it's like, Whoa, wow. Yeah. You know, God's word is true. Yeah. You see it happening. But again, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there were a number of conversions among the Jews. Some Messianic Jews. Absolutely. Who What's had, his name? Um, uh,
1: Apple?
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: no, Idersheim. Eidersheim, yeah.
0: Eidersheim. Yeah. He yeah. was a big one. Huge. Yeah. Uh, wrote, this mammoth book yeah. um, about the connection between the old and the new. And he brought in rabbinic thought, a lot of things that Gentiles weren't aware of. He was like, Oh yeah, we have things in our traditions that teach this. And you're like, oh, wow, that's kind of neat. Yeah. So he was bringing in a lot of that insight that we were missing. And you had people like Arno Gablin mm. creating ministries in magazines that were catering just right. to Jewish evangelism. Uh, And of course you had some struggles during that time because you had some who like John Hagee today thought we don't really need to get the Jews to change. Mm. Now at the time, what there was a big divide between Arno Gabel and one of his partners. And I can't remember his name, but he was like, look, the Jews need to keep, they just need to keep the law. Like they need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Yes. But you know, they, they need to keep just doing what they're doing. The Sabbath observance, the Torah observance and Arno Gabon's like, No, like they're not under the law anymore. So these Jewish Christians, if they want to keep those things, of course they can, but they don't have to because they're Jewish. And so that was a big divide. Like, okay, when we're, when we reach a Jew who says, okay, I believe in the Messiah. Should we say, you know, you need to keep doing what you're doing or you don't have to keep doing those things you can if you want but you don't have to so that was a big disagreement between them well um,
1: and and it does get confusing because the question is why do they continue doing them in the millennium
0: yeah and, and and so you
1: know what i'm saying yeah but
0: at the same time that's it's strange because the church is raptured out and so yes. all jews today who have accepted jesus Are will be gone out. so that's a it's a different generation it's like it's a different type of administration like, are, are too. They doing
1: it to learn to un- so they can fully understand
0: and, and, and I don't think Jesus did. If you were to, to read some of the stuff by like Arnold Fruitbaum and he notices this, this stuff that I don't because you know he has that Jewish background. He's messianic, but he points out that this law that we see in Ezekiel that's mm. present in the millennium, it's not actually the same as the Mosaic law. He mm. says it's it's different. Really? Like opposite in certain places. Uh-huh. And so he says from a Gentile perspective, that's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah, really yeah. not. From a it's Jewish not. perspective, if you're reading that and you knew the law and you kept the law, you'd be like, this is weird. This is different than what we do. Like, this is not what Moses said. Yeah. So it's not really the law coming back. It's something different. Hmm. Very reminiscent of the law. But that's not, it's not the same. It's not identical, and we d- can't understand it. And we will one day. Yes, and so that's one of those things. But as of right now, as far as the church age goes, you know, using Paul, he's the guy who goes to the Gentiles, and he, yeah. the mystery of the church age, he explains yes. it better than any other apostle because that was his calling. Yeah, and so when he talks about it, uh, he makes it clear that Jews are not required to keep the law, and and there were times where he did. When he's sitting with Gentiles, he does not impose it on them. That's right. Like I. I Paul would be the guy that if you sat him down and said, "Hey, if you're in a Gentile household and they're cooking bacon, would you eat the bacon?" He'd say, "Sure, I'd eat the sure, bacon." Sure, why not? You know, if you're at a Jewish household, he'd say, "Well, I wouldn't eat the bacon. I don't want to. I don't want to offend anybody." Right. You know, so when, among the Jews, he he knew that practice because he was one himself. He grew up that way, but he knew that he was not obligated to keep those things. That's right. And so that I think is important to note. But again, going back to what I was saying, there's huge. Extremes here. Hebrew roots way over there, Mm. giving way too much prominence to the Old Testament. You got replacement theology, which ignores swaths of the Old Testament. And so I think in the middle, I think the dispensational view, I don't like that term necessarily because it is a man made term. Um, Mm. I always like to say I'm a biblicist because I don't want to be straight jacketed into I'm Calvinist, I'm Arminian, I'm. You know, I'm I'm this or that, even like if people ask me what denomination I'm a part of, I'll say, well, I'm a Baptist. I'll be honest with you. But I, as I've gotten older, I'm less satisfied with even that term. Like right. it, it used to be like when I would read theologians, if they weren't Baptist, I would automatically like have a have a prejudice towards them. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I can trust what they say. And now it's like I'll read Charles Spurgeon. I'll read. uh you know, John Nelson Darby, Mm -hmm. I'll read church fathers and there's stuff that I'll read. in all of those guys that I disagree with. Yeah. Right. But there's a lot of good too, you know? Absolutely. So it's really just the Bible's the standard, not, not, not Baptist people, not the Baptist faith and message or any creed, but the word of God. Um, And so anyways, I think that denominationalism, it just puts a bad taste in my mouth. I know that, There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I'm part of this faith tradition, but I'm not bound by that. I should be bound by nothing but the word of God. Amen. Uh, But anyways, going back to this verse and wrapping it up, um, could it be Passover? Is that acceptable? Absolutely. There are other places where I think other translations, modern translations, they just are wrong. Like it's just wrong. But when it comes to this, they're not wrong. No, Mm -hmm. if you got a translation that says Passover, it's perfectly fine. However, I think it's wrong, and this is what you see a lot on the forums and the discussion on the internet, I think it's wrong to say that Easter is outrightly wrong if you understand what Easter means. Right. If you're saying, okay, Easter is the season of unleavened bread, understood from a Christian perspective in the early church, perfectly fine. And that's probably the sun rising in the east, the sun rising in the east. And when Easter season drew near, and as the Jews are preparing for the Passover, the Christians, whether Jewish or Gentile, they're aware of the same calendar, they're aware of the same events. But from their perspective, it's the rising of the sun that matters. Yeah. And and even those who celebrated the breaking of the fast on the day that Jesus died on the cross, Mm. they know that the reason we could celebrate now. It hasn't come to Sunday yet, right? But we don't have to wait till Sunday to celebrate because yeah. we already know how this ends. Amen. And so that's the awesome thing. Whenever Good Friday comes around, uh, you know I, I don't need to put on sackcloth and put ashes on my head. Like I'm already celebrating. Amen. Because while everybody at the foot of the cross at that time, even the disciples, they thought it was the end. We retrospectively looking back, no, no, Friday was the beginning of a victory. But Sunday's coming. Who, who but did Sunday's that? But Sunday's coming. What is? Who did that?
1: Not Fadi Bakum. Somebody did that. You know what I'm talking about? But Sunday's coming. It's yeah, like a, I know this, what
0: you're this, this, and this, but Sunday's coming. It sounds familiar what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. It's probably something up. that's been on Facebook, you know, yeah, a sermon clip a, or it's something a like sermon. that. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite good. So, uh, anyways, I think honestly, that's all we have time for tonight. Yeah. Uh, right. That's a lot, but hopefully you benefited from it. You got some perspective. I know I did doing this study, was really fun. And uh, next week, I'll go ahead and give you a a sneak peek. We're going to talk about Revelation 22, 19. Um, is it book of life or tree of life? And then we're going to look about uh, look at um, Revelation 22, 14. Is it those who uh, keep the commandments or those who wash their garments? And we're going to look at the significance of those two differences next week. So hopefully you'll enjoy that. But God bless. Have a good night.